You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. Maryland football just had their bowl game, and they came out with a big win. We have a lot to talk about this week on the pod. Uh, Maryland men's basketball beat Lehigh after their long extended break, but I think first uh, we're so happy to be back after our one-week break from the podcast. Happy to have Lauren back after a long podcast absence, and as always, Dylan Spilko, your host, and Sam Oshry on the call as well. Uh, Maryland won the pinstripe bowl dominant fashion yesterday at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, 54 to 10 over Virginia Tech. Maryland opened as uh, three-point favorites. They beat them by 44, so it was quite the blowout. And Maryland finishes with their first winning record for the first time since 2014. So obviously, we could talk about that. Maryland's first bowl appearance since 2016, the first bowl game appearance under head coach Mike Loxley, obviously. And now Loxley moves to one and zero in bowl in bowl games as the head coach of the Maryland football program. When you're looking at the season overall, it was Maryland's first winning season since 2014. They finished seven and six. Was that the best that Maryland has played all year? Sam, I remember you tweeted something out about how it was one of the more complete performances that the team has played this season. Was that the best game that they've played all year? out i mean when you like they've had some stellar offensive performance they've had some great defensive performance so when you but when you combine those things we saw a lot this year sometimes the offense was clicking but the run defense is really struggling sometimes their defense was playing well against some high level opponents but their offense just wasn't um clicking against great defenses you know this this wasn't like a two three win team yeah virginia tech had a lot of issues and a lot of players deal with injuries and enter the transfer portal so it wasn't some elite virginia tech team but from an offensive defensive and special team standpoint when they brought all those things together especially special teams which has really struggled this year this was by far the most dominant and complete performance and the score really reflected that i mean their offense was clicking um on on all cylinders i mean talia had a phenomenal game obviously we saw the, the fumble for the scoop and score on on the defensive end they were a ton of pass breakups i mean their defense was playing an elite level and then the special teams touchdown not just the punt return touchdown for 92 yards by Tarheeb still, which was the first score of the game and really set the tone early, but also they're, they're kicking you. I forget. I think they were three for three on field goals. Um, maybe, maybe two for two, but whatever it was, you know, Joseph Petrino really played well. So just from, from a complete game standpoint, they were incredibly dominant and that was, that was their best game of the season by far. I also think that when you look at just the discipline of the team now compared to what we were talking about um, pre this four week or this kind of extra stretch of practices and then much earlier in the season, it's uh, light years of difference. I mean, to only walk away with three penalties from that game compared to some of these other games that were so stop and go because of so many penalties. And, you know, there weren't any of those kind of game changing penalties in the sense where it was like Maryland had the opportunity to, you know, get the first down. It was like, fourth and inches or whatever it was and then a penalty pulls them all the way back and takes them out of field goal range or whatever so I think just seeing that development with the team on top of kind of putting all the pieces together in terms of playmaking was a really big step for this program and I also think that the game itself was just a huge kind of 
almost symbolizes a bigger turning point for this program. And, you know, you look at Coach Loxley and all that he's trying to build here and the culture he's been trying to build at Maryland of just like a culture of respect and empathy, but also buy-in and discipline and, you know, playing up to a standard and all of that. And I think that you really saw that kind of come to life yesterday against Virginia Tech. Sam, you touched upon it. Virginia Tech wasn't in like mint condition, a lot of players entering the transfer portal, a lot of moving pieces, but Maryland really played up. They didn't play necessarily um, they didn't play to the opponent. They played to what they wanted to be playing. And they really did that the entire time and continued to push. And it wasn't like they kind of gave up. And I think that that was a really big step for this program and a really big moment to be able to watch um, Coach Loxley kind of see it all come together and for his seniors to be able to see that and see all the work that they put in. It feels like he's been saying it's the beginning of the 2020 the 2022 season, but it feels like it's even more than that. It really feels like it could be the beginning of this next wave of Maryland football and what could be for this program. Yeah, it definitely feels like a great step in the right direction. And if you look at the beginning of the game, it was almost poetic that special teams kind of shifted the game into Maryland's favor right away, because that's something that has been a huge problem for Maryland all year, whether it be field goals or kickoff coverage, there's, there's always been some kind of issue with the special teams. And that Tar Heap still 92 uh, punt return touchdown broke a few records. It was like the longest since 1953 in Maryland program history, like the first punt return touchdown in pinstripe bowl history. There were a lot of different accolades that came along with that one play from still, but that one play really set the tone for the entire game for Maryland. They end up uh, shutting out Virginia tech in the second half en route to the, the 54 to 10 win. And then Talia Tagovailoa named the MVP of the 2021 Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, his performance, very well done for Maryland. One, one of his better performances of the year, something that uh, we saw earlier in the year when Maryland was on that four-game winning streak. Uh, to start the season, he finished 20 of 24 for 265 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. I, I mean, Loxley probably couldn't have asked more out of his starting quarterback, only four incompletions. And it was overall a perfect day for him. Was there anything that he could have improved on in that game? Because it seems like he played the, the, an A-plus game for Maryland to go get that win against what was a pretty much depleted Virginia Tech roster against a, a very motivated Maryland team. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I don't think he could have done much more, honestly. I mean, you just read the stats. He, he, was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was pretty phenomenal the entire game. And, like, he was just 203 passer rating, like an 83% completion percentage. I mean, that's just phenomenal. And we know most of their passing offense, you know, most of their yards are going to be um, through the air. And that was especially uh, prevalent in the first three quarters. They started running the ball later in the game, which got got their uh, rushing yards up. But, you know, he, Talia was phenomenal. And after the game, like, Loxley was like, I hope he starts getting the respect he deserves. And I think he's getting – like, I think he's been getting a decent amount of respect. I mean, he he is a very talented quarterback. He can obviously extend plays, use his legs. He has a cannon. Um, his decision-making improved. There were times where it wasn't great this year, but his decision-making definitely improved. And I would say, like, when you, when you just look at the respect that he's getting, he's a respected quarterback, but it's sometimes against the top competition that we've seen in the Big Ten, which he faced this year, and he's going to face again next year in the Big Ten East. Sometimes when we see that competition, he isn't. He makes mistakes, and he's he's more likely to make mistakes. But we saw that growth this year, and everyone just hopes that he gets it next year. But I think he's he's pretty pretty well respected quarterback, and you know to cap off a record breaking season like he had this past year, 
it was a pretty phenomenal performance against Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I also think he's in similar to how we kind of saw the team develop throughout this season. You definitely saw you've seen him develop, especially across the last two seasons. I think he finished last season with seven interceptions, and that was in four games. And then you look at this season, and he had eleven in the twelve thirteen, but the yesterday's game, the thirteen games. And so it just really does show the improvement in decision-making. And that's a big testament to the work that he puts in. I think we hear about it a lot that he is always watching film and he is always kind of trying to get better and really take himself, but also this team to the next level. I think that's a really common denominator with all the players on this team. It's about personal development, but really it's about everyone who's here understands the state of the program and understood the state of the program when they came in and is working towards bringing it somewhere else and wants to be a part of that rebuilding. And Talia Esbeck definitely played a humongous role in that. I think that um, yesterday's performance was really um, just a testament to the hard work that he's been putting in and kind of really came together. I don't think it was an unusual performance for him. We've seen performances like that from him throughout the season, but to be able to see it kind of in the moment where there is more, um, not quite pressure put on him, but a little bit of pressure put on and all of that and really see him come out and be able to elevate Maryland to this kind of, um, you know, a bowl winning team for the first time in a long time really just shows that, yeah, I agree. He, I don't necessarily think he's underrated per se. I think he does get a decent amount of respect, but I think this game will most definitely give him an extra notch of that respect and gives him extra momentum going into 2022. I mean, it's not like fans or analysts or whoever's following along is going to be left with a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to him being quarterback at Maryland. He gave, he really left it all on the field, and that was in about three quarters that he put up those stats. So to be able to do that and really um, improve as both a player, and it's clear that he's a leader for this team every time, that he's completing a touchdown pass or, you know, making a big play and it's somebody else who's, you know, um, on the other side of that, he's going right over to them, uh, big hugs and celebrations and kind of just like shows exactly the kind of leader that he is where he talks about how there are a lot of players who lead by example. And it seems that he does as well. You know, he really um, both in the stats category, but also in just like the motivational category as well. And I think we continue to see that disparity between how, Tagovailoa plays between some of like the weaker defenses that he faces between the, the stronger teams that he played and he completely took advantage of it and it was just a day full of big hugs and celebration a big reason for that was Daryl Jones's performance he ended with four catches for a team high or I think a game high 111 yards two touchdowns he had that 70 yard touchdown and a, and a 32 yard touchdown both were the first touchdowns of his collegiate career after four years I believe so a really feel-good story out of uh, Daryl Jones's day, and you could just tell in the celebrations how how good it felt for him to get on the scoreboard and to help Maryland in the, the biggest game of his career. Was he more deserving than Tagovailoa for MVP? Because you can make an argument that I mean, he's, his two touchdowns kind of just put the game out of reach. I think his his seventy-yard touchdown made it fourteen to three, and then. His other touchdown was in the third quarter and just put the game away even further. But four catches for 111 yards and the the only two touchdowns that uh, Maryland threw for, I mean, that's a pretty good day. Was there any chance of him ever stealing the MVP from Tagovailoa? 
I mean, probably not just because, you know, the most valuable player is usually the quarterback because the quarterback is the most valuable position on the field. And Talia was phenomenal. Maybe if Talia struggled a little bit and Daryl Jones kind of bailed him out, um, then then that would maybe be the case. But, you know, he was phenomenal. And that one 70-yard catch, I mean, that was a perfectly placed ball. Like, that was just a beautiful throw by Talia right in Daryl Jones' hand and obviously for the score there. But, you know, what a way to be sent off as a senior in probably your last game four catches, like you said, for 111 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was phenomenal. He was the, that playmaker. And Rakim, uh, Rakim Jarrett was great, too. You know, six catches for 66 yards. I mean, excuse me, six catches for 60 yards. That was a phenomenal performance for him, too. Not not phenomenal, but, you know, just steady and solid, like we want to, like we want to see all year. And we hope, and everyone, all Maryland fans, hope that he can, can continue to build on that uh, next year. But, yeah, Daryl Jones was great. You know, Brian Cobbs even. It's kind of like it's just a fairy tale ending for their for their careers. Just the, the fact that Brian Cobbs is a senior too, one of the leaders on the team, maybe the most respected guy in that locker room. Four catches, sixty-two yards at when he hadn't been very productive and hadn't got a lot of time this year, really. So I mean, like I don't think you could give the MVP to Daryl Jones just because how great Talia was, but I mean it was it was just a great performance from the entire receiving corps. And people keep saying this is like wide receiver wide receiver you over at Maryland. I think you're going to see that next year with maybe their most loaded wide receiver room ever and maybe one of the most loaded in the entire country. But even when they have guys down and they need to rely on, on some guys who weren't playing a lot earlier in the year and not their top performers and not their top playmakers, they still get it done because that, that receiver room is really just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you touch upon it. The depth that they had this year at the receiver position was all that we kind of – were a, a big focal point at the beginning of the season because, I mean, it seems like it was forever ago at this point, but on top of having these players who made a big impact yesterday, you also had, you know, Dante Dimas playing and you had um, Jason Jones playing and uh, Carlos Carrier was um, playing a little bit. He wasn't, he didn't travel with the team yesterday and you had um, um, Marcus Fleming making big plays as well. So kind of all these different receivers who have kind of had different moments to shine this season for different reasons, whatever that was. But a common denominator here is that everyone kind of stepped up when it was time to step up. And um, the some of the players were talking about it yesterday after the game, and um, Loxley touched upon it as well. But it was kind of – everyone was kind of waiting for Daryl Jones to have a game like this. Everybody knew he could do it. And, you know, maybe it was four years in the making, but you said it perfectly that it is kind of a storybook ending for him. And – uh, it's a great way for him to cap off his career and you know maybe like um, the kind of thing with this is that again it just shows the potential for what there is in the future knowing that Dante Dimas is coming back and knowing that Rakim Jarrett is coming back and the potential for some of these other guys to maybe come back plus all of the incoming um, whether that's recruits or through the transfer portal who are coming in at their wide receiver position um, Talia is really kind of reloading that receiver room and should be surrounded with people who are really going to be able to continue to allow him to have games like this. So Maryland's going to have an extremely loaded wide receiver group next year, and that's even building on an already solid wide receiver group that they had this year. They are, I mean, Dante Dimas announced his return to the program, and then soon after, Jacob Copeland, who led the University of Florida in, re in receiving yards this year, He's transferring to the program as well. And then you add in the return of Rakim Jarrett. You add in Shalik Knotts, who committed to the program. I mean, it's just, it's just so much help for Tagovailoa. And then you add in that Tagovailoa is returning. 
And obviously Maryland hasn't had a, a very steady quarterback presence over the last few years. And now you have a returner that just threw for 26 passing touchdowns this season, which tied a program record. Just a lot of now um, stability, I think, is a great way to put it. You start with the progression, and now Maryland is going to look for that stability in, this, in the next year after already going to a bowl game. What are the expectations going to be for this wide receiver group? Can they be the best in the Big Ten, especially with Tagovailoa coming back for a full season? Because it just seems that there are, are so many weapons in this group. And then you add in a guy like Corey Deitches, who's going to step in behind uh, a departing Chigazim Okonkwo, who's going to go for the 2022 NFL draft. It just seems like there are so many different kinds of lethal offensive weapons, especially in the passing game next year. Yeah, and one guy you didn't even mention is Deshaun Jones. Who I think we believe to, we believe is going to come back. Um, we're not entirely sure, but you know that's just like going into this year. We were like the wide receiver room is is the best. Um, it's their strong. It's their strong suit. You know, it's one of the best in the Big Ten. Obviously, they became depleted pretty early with Dante Demas going down, and then um, Jashawn Jones went down and tore his ACL for the second time in like three years or something. Um, so, so you know they didn't. They, obviously, they had to rely on some secondary guys, which hurt Talia and that offense as a whole in general going into next year i mean dante demas assuming he comes back 100 healthy like i think a lot of people were surprised that he was coming back because even after the injury people felt he still could have been drafted somewhat high but he really is going to be one of the best receivers in the entire country i mean he is an absolute playmaker him and um talia had a great connection when they were on the field together he like you have the defense has to show so much attention to him and then you add a guy like rakim who's a five-star recruit was very solid as was great as the number two option earlier this year. Proved himself as a number one option. It's obviously ex- is another explosive playmaker. Jacob Copeland's coming over from Florida, who's a great receiver. And then they have two four-star recruits as as um freshmen coming in too. So like this is maybe like I think they're going to be the best. Ohio State always has a great receiving room. I think Mich- uh, Maryland is going to be the best in the Big Ten and really one of the best in the country and just it only is going to elevate Talia's game as, as he maybe next year builds a resume to try to get drafted in the NFL draft. And that's really what next year is going to be about for him, I think. So this is only going to help him a lot. And he's going to take that extra step of development like we've seen from, like we saw from year one to year, year two. I think we're going to see that from year two to year three now. So, I mean, it's, this is the best wide receiver room that, that we, that we're going to have, that we're going to see. And if they stay healthy, then, the sky really is the limit for them and this entire offense. Yeah, and I really think that kind of the big thing next year, going from this year to next year and then next year entirely, is consistency. Um, one of you touched upon it before, but Maryland, that's like another signal that this Maryland program is maybe in a shift. There has not been a lot of consistency in this program in kind of any way. There's been coaching changes over the last few years and, you know, Talia was the first quarterback to start in every game for the Terps for a long time. I don't know the exact number, but a um, whole bunch of years. And, you know, Dante Demas, before he was out for the season, he was being dubbed as Mr. Consistency, and he's a consistent player and a consistent playmaker. And you have um, Talia, who has definitely become a more consistent player, and um, Rakim is relatively consistent. So when you look at this wide receiver room, but also the wide receiver to quarterback connection that Talia has with all of them, and he really does, it seems at least from 
where we look in, that he does really work hard to create these kind of relationships with his players. Every time that somebody else stepped up, we were hearing that week that, you know, him and Talia had a great relationship, whoever that was, whether it was um, Chig or um, Jayshon Jones after Dante Dimas went down or Rakim, whatever the case is. So I think that next year, this consistency is really going to be beneficial for Maryland. The combination of these extended practices where they've now had nearly an extra month to practice um, to kind of start their season to go into the spring practices with this extra momentum to have the same quarterback coming back who was successful this season and broke a ton of program records and will probably continue to break them next season really does a lot for this team and has the potential to set them up in a way that like in an intangible way, you know, to not have to go through so many transitions next season could be really, really beneficial for this team and allows them to not only develop with the talent that they have, but also this consistency level can be a huge factor for them that some of these other teams in the Big Ten have year after year. So the wide receiver group is fairly set with, uh, you know, that quad of solid wide receivers. And then Corey Deitches is going to be presumably the starting tight end next season after accumulating 19 catches, 208 yards, four touchdowns. Jiggs and McConquo, just three catches for 14 yards in the pinstripe bowl. I would say that his draft stock isn't really affected by it. Uh, hope he's a really great guy, hoping that he gets drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. And I think he has the talent to do so. But besides the passing game for Maryland, uh, Loxley said, I mean, he was just reiterating the same message all throughout uh, the bowl game media week that the younger guys were going to get a chance to play. And we really saw that mostly in the run game. Three different young running backs really got a chance to show what they could do. Antoine, Antoine Littleton, Colby McDonald, and Roman Hemby, who's got a few touches this year. Uh, they all ended with a touchdown, and all of them received four more carries. Littleton impressed with seven carries for 45 yards. He had a four-yard rushing touchdown in the second quarter. And then you have a four-star coming in and Ramon Brown, uh, who's coming into the mix next season. So a lot of young guys really going to be carrying the mantle for Maryland's running back group with Tayon Fleet Davis departing. It seems as though the starting job is fairly open for grabs. If you had to pick a favorite to start as Maryland's running back starter next year, I would go with Littleton. But it could also, I mean, you really don't know. It could be McDonald, Hemby. It's really just who's going to impress in preseason next year. But if you had to take a stab at it, who would you go with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be by committee. I think coming into this year, it wasn't really decided. Um, Townfleet Davis kind of was the, the veteran in the room, and, and he ended up taking the brunt of that load. But um, I think it's going to be kind of by committee. I think McDonald's going to get a lot of rushes. I think Roman Hemby has a ton of potential. Um, Littleton, we didn't, we saw him very rarely this this season but we obviously we saw him in that bowl game after he was one of the young guys that Loxley was referring to that got a lot of good reps in uh during all those practices from that last game of the regular season until that bowl game so it could be him um they have a four-star back coming in too I think it's going to be by committee and they're they're really gonna it's going to be a wait and see approach you know who kind of who kind of shines um in the spring and then in the preseason next year but they have a few options to work with and again it's going to be a pass heavy offense but if you have that solid running game it really can open up uh, that that pass offense and make Talia's job a lot easier. And I think their offensive line is going to be much improved. You know, a lot of those guys are going to be coming back. They were solid this year. They weren't great, but they lacked depth. And I think that's something that Loxley recruited very well was that offensive line depth. So I think you're going to see an improvement in that area too, which is only going to help this running game moving forward as well. 
Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that they'll all be able to, they have a lot of time, obviously, to figure that out. But when it comes to playing, I think that they will kind of rotate who's doing what and at what times there's a lot of talent and a lot of potential with those three players. And then uh, you mentioned, Sam, they have a couple of recruits coming in um, who are running backs and will be able to help with that depth. But I think that being able to kind of see them in bits and pieces throughout the season and then yesterday um, more consistently uh, just shows, again, the potential for this team and the potential for that specific position. And like Loxley was saying all week, he didn't like to talk about specific players who were doing things well, who were younger, because he truly felt like as a unit, they were all working incredibly hard and all doing what it took to kind of meet their, I believe it was, I can't remember the exact word that Loxley was using, but like a prescription. He met with each, all the coaching staff met with each player, gave them a couple things to work on. Everybody was working very hard on that. And he mentioned that the younger players were no exception. And it was clear yesterday by the results that they had put in the work. So again, I think that um, unless one of them seems to break out over the spring, I think that they'll continue to kind of rotate who's doing what. So all those young guys played a part in Maryland's 54-point barrage on Virginia Tech's defense. Maryland's offense scores its second-most points this season with a 54-point total. Yet the defense might have even done an even better job in that game. Connor Blumrick, the Hokies' third-string quarterback, was thrusted into action in the pinstripe bowl. He finished with just nine completions on 15 attempts for 110 yards no touchdowns, and then a few guys at the defensive side of the ball for Maryland. Uh, linebacker Ruben Hiplight had a career day in tackles. I believe he had 12. Nick Cross had a big booming sack and fumble, and the senior defensive lineman Greg Rose had a, a scoop and score uh, late in the game to kind of put the bow on top of the gift for Maryland. There were so many impressive, impressive players on defense for Maryland. If you, if you had to pick one and say who was the MVP of the defense in the pinstripe bowl, who would it be? Um, I mean, it's a tough question. Yeah. You, know, you, could, you could say Tarheeb still because of his role in special teams uh, too. And he also, um, like, it wasn't just special teams where Tarheeb still shined. I mean, he obviously as a cornerback, he's great in, in coverage, and he, he had a pass break up in there, and, you know, like other opposing quarterbacks don't like to target him. And he also, he had three tackles, you know, he, he comes up um, when other teams are running the ball and he, he's a great tackler as well. Um, that Nick Cross hit to force that fumble. I mean, that was just a monster hit. Like he just rocked a Virginia Tech's quarterback. And then Greg Rose came in for to scoop it up and, and score that one. Um, you, you probably Ruben Hippolyte. I mean, he had uh, double as many tackles as anyone else on the, on the uh, field yesterday. So he was phenomenal. Um, you know, like Jordan Mosley's always underrated, and obviously this was his last game too. He's one of those seniors that were that was sent off in a good way, but he's been underrated this entire season. Um, he is he's been phenomenal and just a, a very much steady presence for this Maryland defense. Um, but yeah, I mean the MVP of the defense was probably Ruben Hippolyte. He was just everywhere, flying all over yesterday, and really making it difficult for Virginia Tech's offense. Yeah, I would say the exact same thing. If I had to pick one, I'd say Ruben Hippolyte. He kind of silently collected 12 tackles yesterday and really did so in a way that was incredibly effective. And again, great sign for Maryland considering he's a younger guy on the team. I mean, he's been playing, he's been getting reps since, you know, he was a freshman last season, but um, for him to 
lead the team in tackles as a sophomore in a bowl game in the pinstripe bowl, you know, all the pent upness of it all being first game since uh, bowl game since 2016. Good sign for Maryland in terms of what's to come. And he definitely performed up to, you know, his potential yesterday. And I think he has so much more room to even grow in the remaining time he has with Maryland. And Hippolyte's performance helped Maryland hold Virginia Tech to just 6 of 18 on third down, which is pretty good mark for Maryland's defense. Only three total penalties. There was one defensive pass interference earlier in the game. But besides that, not really much to note of. So a really solid defensive performance, especially in the second half. They shut out Virginia Tech to hold them 10 points. I think the second lowest amount that they've held an opponent to this season because that 62-0 to zero shutout over Howard kind of outweighs all of the numbers. So after finishing 7-6, and six, uh, it's, I think it's safe to say that Mike Loxley has this program headed in a really good direction. I think the expectations for next season are definitely going to increase a little from what they were coming into this season because at the beginning of this season, I think the baseline level of success was just getting that sixth win and it didn't really matter. What happened in the bowl game, it was just the fact that Maryland would be playing in a bowl game, and that would be seen as the success for the, for the full season. So Maryland's definitely going to be coming in with a, a not a retooled, but kind of a, a renewed roster with an influx of talent next season. So they'll definitely be a program to look out for. Uh, thank you guys for following along with our football coverage this year. And I, this is the last time that we'll be talking about Maryland football until they either get some more players or you know, make some signings, you know. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the program. You never know who's going to transfer out uh, with how the college football world is going these days. But Maryland football ends this 2021 season at 7-6. and six, And now we can shift our full focus onto Maryland men's basketball. And Maryland is on a two-game winning streak after beating Lehigh 76 to 55 at home the last two games they've beaten they beat then number 20 Florida a long time ago on December 12th at the Barclays Center and now had interim head coach Danny Manning is 2 and 1 since taking over from former head coach Mark Turgeon Maryland is 7 and 4 on the season and one of the biggest storylines to talk about heading into tonight's matchup against Brown as Maryland looks for its sixth win at home is Fats Russell, because Fats Russell went down in that 21-point victory over Lehigh just two nights ago. Um, today it was reported by John Rothstein that he was a, a game-time decision this morning, and he's probably going to be a game-time, obviously a game-time decision leading up to the game. Do we think he's going to play, and what's going to happen to this team if he's out? I really can't project if he's going to play just because – like it was, it, I don't think it's a very serious injury. I, I, I can say that, um, you know, he banged knees and it was contact injury. That's better than non-contact with your knee usually. And if he's a game time decision, that means that it's not something serious probably when they're going to take it day by day. I just don't think it's particularly smart for him to play um, today. You know, it was literally just Tuesday, today's, thir today's Thursday. And, and it was, the game was on Tuesday when the, when the injury happened, I had to check for a second because usually we record on Wednesdays. But, but so I don't think, um, so I don't think it's something very serious if he's a game time decision, but I just don't think it's very smart from the play. I'm not sure if he's going to end up playing, just take that extra rest and going into big dumb play. And they're not going to play again until January 3rd and get that extra treatment. It was interesting that his teammates said 
you know, he had some knee injuries um, in the practices leading up to that game. So that, that could be something to keep an eye on the rest of the season, just how his, how his knee is, is holding up. But it's hard to say if he's going to play or not. If he's not going to play, it is a serious loss. I mean, they do have other guys who can initiate the offense, but they don't bring what Fats brings in transition from passing standpoint. Um, he can score when he needs to. Obviously, just he, he's their point guard. I mean, they have like Eric Ayala who can initiate the offense, but he's way better off the ball, and he's starting to come, come into his own these last couple of games. Um, playing off the ball in a real shooting guard role, but also Hakeem Hart has played point guard last year even, and so he can initiate the offense. So they're not going to have a problem against Brown, you don't think. We don't really know, but I wouldn't think they have a problem. would have a problem against Brown if Bats is there. M- moving forward, it would be a big loss if this, is, if this is a lingering issue. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I think that with the timing – being so close to when they're supposed to have a very, very challenging schedule ahead. I mean, if you look at especially those first few games that they're playing in the Big Ten, I mean, it is going to be more physical than what they've been dealing with and just incredibly challenging in terms of the talent caliber. Not that the teams they're playing now don't have talent, but it's just it's a different level of um, everything in Big Ten play. I think if he doesn't play tonight, it makes sense, and I don't think that's I mean, again, I don't know, but I don't think it would necessarily be too much cause for concern considering it was that knee-to-knee contact and not necessarily uh, a non-contact injury. And like you said, Sam, the other players had touched upon when they were talking about um, the injury that he had been dealing with some stuff with his knees recently so that they weren't necessarily surprised that maybe, you know, he was kind of dealing with uh, being hurt a little bit from that uh, needing any contact, but I think if he doesn't play tonight, it will. Um, some of the other players will will see if kind of they have the same kind of cal the same mentality. I mean, not to draw a comparison to the football team, but the football team had you know the injuries and players kind of step up and fill those voids, and we haven't had to see that yet with men's basketball. So if that's the case, maybe we'll see um, guys like Hakeem Hart step into a different role, E. Martinez take on a different role, whatever that may be, and. So there's the potential for that. But again, I don't think it would be too much cause for concern because it would make sense if he wasn't playing with all of the Big Ten games coming up so shortly. I would not be surprised if Fats Russell is ruled out from the game because his game is completely built on speed. And obviously, if you're dealing with any kind of knee soreness or knee injury in any kind of capacity, that's going to limit your speed. And if that's what Fats Russell's game is built around, which it is, we know how quick he is. We know how effective he is at opening up the defense and driving into the paint. I think that if the team feels as though that's going to be impacted, I think it's just better to leave him out, no matter how they match up against Brown. And I think I think, I honestly believe that's going to be the, the decision at the end of the day, uh, just because I think it'll, just because they're so close to Big Ten play and that, you obviously, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, like, we don't know what the injury is, so we don't know if there's any kind of things for, like, a setback, but you never, you never want that to happen for a player, and Maryland's lucky that he's already a game-time decision leading up to the, the first game after he suffered this, this apparent knee injury, after the knee-to-knee contact against Lehigh, but I, I think that it would benefit Maryland if he was ruled out, if they think that he's not good to go. If he says he's fine and that He's ready to go. I think that you roll out Fats Russell and put him in his usual role. But it could but, also well, – I think, I think it's yeah. more on the medical staff too. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, Sure. I mean, like I just – like 
it's he might be ready to go, but what's the chance of re-injury? Like if, if it's even somewhat high, and I, we don't know what the injury is, we just know it's knee right now. If it's even somewhat high, there's no reason for him to suit up against Brown tonight. Just take that extra rest. But I mean, we don't we don't really know. There's just I think there's just no need to do it before you kick off Big Ten play uh, and two road games against Iowa in Illinois. I think this is a this is a, Maryland's open debt. 11.5-point favorites against Brown. It's obviously a winnable game. I think you save Fats Russell for those important Big Ten games that are very close in the, in the first week of the new year. So I think you save him for them. But it also opens up a, just a whole realm of possibility for this Maryland team. They could go with the double big man lineup all of a sudden without Fats Russell in the lineup. I mean, you have uh, Caduce Wahab and Julian Reese that might slot in together in the starting lineup if – uh, Fats Russell is out because you either have that option or you're rolling out um, you're rolling out Ian Martinez at either the one or the two. And I think that Maryland would rather opt to go to Eric Ayala at the one than Hakeem Hart at the two, Dante at the three, Julian Reese at the four, and Caduce Wahab at the five. I think that's a very suitable lineup, and it's something to experiment with against probably your most winnable game of the season for the rest of the year. No, no comments from anyone on that? Okay, I guess we'll move on to Eric Ayala. That's fine. So Eric Ayala led all scores against Lehigh with 20 points. He finished 8 for 13 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. Two steals. This is something that we can now all talk about. Have we finally seen Ayala turn the corner after a lot of inconsistency shooting-wise because the last two games that he played, dropping 19 points against Florida – and then 20 against Lehigh, he seems to finally be getting back on track with his consistency. Yeah, well, I think you touched everything we needed to with Fats there. So we didn't, we didn't even need to jump in. But, but I, do, I do think, you know, they kind of go hand in hand because they're in the backcourt. Ayala is really becoming his own. I think he's just more comfortable out there. Just, and it, maybe it's, it's not even that. It's just like he's becoming more comfortable being the number one option, which he needs to be from a scoring standpoint on this team, which he never has been in the past. You know, they've had – Wiggins, even more sell in the past. And obviously, and they've had a bunch of other guys in the years before him. He's never had to be that number one scoring option, which he needs to be for this team to be a, a good offense and, and compete in the Big Ten this season. So I think I think it's encouraging what he's been able, to, been able to do, especially against Florida. You know, Lehigh is Lehigh. They're one of the worst teams in the country, really. But Florida, that Florida performance on December 12th was phenomenal performance to him but he's really just making shots you know like if he's hitting his threes and he really is the only guy on the team in the last few games who who is hitting his threes at a consistent clip but if he is um you know he he's really unguardable as a two and fats makes him much better too you know fats isn't in that lineup tonight or at any point moving forward it's it's gonna be a detriment to eric ayala too because he might have to run more of the point and he is a pure scoring guard you know he can he can run the point if he needs to he's more than capable of it we've seen it before but he is a pure scoring guard, and that helps him be that top scorer on this team when he can play off the ball like he has been these uh, this season. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see if Fats Russell isn't playing, how it affects Eric Ayala. I mean, how it affects everyone, but how it specifically um, affects Eric Ayala. Because he was talking after the last game about how, you know, he was one of the first guys down there because, you know, Fats is his person on, like, off the court, of course, but also on the court, and, like, he's kind of his go-to, and he really – Fats Russell really compliments him 
very nicely when it comes to their style of play. I agree the Lehigh performance isn't as telling just because Lehigh isn't as strong of a team as a team like Florida is or was or whatever the case may be. I think tonight, if he has another consistent performance against Brown, which poses a little bit more of a challenge, again, different, completely different league than the Big Ten, um, could kind of show that level of consistency that he has. And, you know, that's really powerful for him to have that momentum going into Big Ten play, especially if Fats Russell isn't playing. If he's able to do that without him and kind of readjust quickly on the fly, it'll be really um, telling that he has turned that corner. I think definitely has started to, if not has already turned it. Yeah, he'll have another opportunity tonight against Brown to build off his – 39 points that he's accumulated over the last two games. And another Terp that has really excelled recently, Hakeem Hart on both ends of the floor, 10 points, five steals, five rebounds against Lehigh. He had just five shot attempts in 26 minutes on the floor. Is he starting to really fit into that role that everybody expected him to fit into? Because we never really considered him to be a top three scorer on this roster at any point. And and I, we, I, I still don't believe that he is, but he's definitely one of the more well-rounded and complete players on this team. And he's really shown that his difference, his difference making on the defensive end is really just changing Maryland's complexion as a whole, because he's been really good on defense. I mean, five steals, that's not an easy thing to do in division one college basketball. So the Keem Hart is he starting to really fill into that that role that everyone expected him to. Yeah, you know, before the season, like everyone was calling him the X Factor. And when you look at the X Factor, it's kind of like you go as this as um your team goes as you go. And he kind of is like that. When this team was struggling offensively, you know, it wasn't because Hakeem Hart was struggling offensively, but he also he was like, like Hakeem was earlier in the year struggling to make shots. I and mean, he started the year really um not shooting the ball well, not being incredibly aggressive, not being the slasher that we know him to be. But recently, these last few games, he's been incredible. I mean, he's knocking down threes. Um, he's being way more aggressive and take it to the hoop and really just a great downhill driver when he wants to be and, and can finish around the rim. So, like, when you, when you put all those things together, he can be a very key scoring option for this team. And I think the team is recognized and he's recognized that he needs to be. He can't just be the fifth option and get the ball and, and be aggressive when it, when it comes to him, he needs to go out and get those buckets. And he has been in recent games, but his defense and his, his transformation of his body, which has led to his defensive performance has been phenomenal. I mean, he is the top defender on the team. He guards the opposing team's best player. Um, so like as a whole, he might be like the X factor on both ends of the floor when it comes down to it, you know, if he has a bad game, this offense is going to be great. And the, and the defensive performance, if he's struggling there too, is going to be great. And they, they're going to lose games. But if he's playing at a high level like he has been these last few games, they're much more likely to be able to compete against some of these top Big Ten level opponents that we'll see moving forward. You're right. When he's not playing well, Maryland's not doing well. I think in games this season, I was looking at this after the last game, but in games this season where he's had multiple steals, so two or more steals, Maryland's won. And so when he is having you know no steals, one steal, whatever the case may be, slower games, Maryland isn't able to necessarily get the job done again. Maybe those are correlated, maybe they're not. But ultimately, when Hakeem Hart is playing well and, you know, not only on the defensive end, but also shooting the ball relatively well, then it does a lot for this Maryland team, a team that, you know, we touched upon this a few weeks ago, but Maryland didn't necessarily need him to be like the big shooter on the team. They have all these other guys who can kind of, when you look at the starting lineup that they've been putting out, you know, 
with um, Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, Q, um, and Dante, you kind of look at this rounded lineup of shooters who, uh, scorers who are relatively um, more expected to be some of the stronger shooters and maybe for Hakeem to be the fifth option out of that rotation. But to see him kind of going beyond that, so not only performing well on the defensive end of the court and having all those steals and really um, kind of pacing the game at a pace that he would like it to be on that end, but also, you know, adding points in the field to put up the, um, the 10 points against Lehigh in addition to those five steals. Again, we talked about maybe Lehigh isn't as strong of a caliber opponent than some of the other um, competition, but I mean, it seems relatively um, like it would make sense that when he's playing well, um, Maryland is going to automatically do better. So Maryland's guards, Eric Ayala, Hakeem Hart playing much better recently, and Fats Russell, hopefully he's good to go for tonight. And then looking at the front court, Julian Reese and Caduce Wahab each scored double digits in points against Lehigh. Uh, Wahab ended five of six, Julian Reese three of eight. He also hit his second three-pointer of the year from the top of the key. So it was a near split in minutes between the two players. Julian Reese ended with 21. Wahab ended with 19. I think we've already, you know, beaten down on this on this topic that they're probably just going to make it a situational lineup throughout the rest of the season. It's really going to depend on the matchups uh, when you look at the minutes between both players. So I think we can just go right into our score predictions for tonight's game. Maryland and Brown. Yes, yes. It's everybody's favorite segment. So Maryland and Brown, as Maryland is looking to improve to eight and four in the season, Brown is certainly not a washover. They're eight and six near the top of the Ivy. They just got uh, walloped by Syracuse. They're on a two-game losing streak. Maryland's on a two-game winning streak. What are we thinking what the score is going to be? The spread is around 11 and a half points. You know, it's tough to know when we don't know what Fat when Fats is playing. I think, I think that's like they've really struggled to come out um, fast this season. I don't think you're going to see that being any different tonight. I, like you could say it was against Lehigh. Maybe it was because they didn't like they had a long layoff. Um, they, they didn't have they didn't know they were going to be playing that opponent until two days before. But I really I think it's been a thing all season where they've really struggled to come out. Um, with a lot of intensity and that energy that they brought in the second half when they turned that thing around. So I think you're going to see that, that same thing tonight, especially if Fats isn't playing, which we don't know yet. Um, I'm going to say 70 to 59 is my score prediction. Um, I think that that Syracuse game that Brown recently had feels like maybe it could be an outlier. I mean, I'm not really sure when I was kind of looking into the games that they had, you know, they seem to, you know, like you said, they're not necessarily a pushover. Um, they do struggle to win closer games though. And I think if, you know, Maryland might have the edge there, if the game is kind of a little bit tighter, I think that the score is going to be 76 to 63. Maryland. Yeah, I like the way that Maryland was shooting against Lehigh. I think that's uh, one of the the big key points against this Brown team. And I was watching that Brown-Syracuse game, and Syracuse opted to go a lot of zone defense. I would expect Maryland to, I think, to stick to man. I think they're a good man-to-man 
uh, defensive team. I think they, for the most part, shut down Brown, but I think Brown's going to cover the spread because, Sam, as you said, I mean, this team really hasn't shown that they can just rip the game open in the first half, and why would we expect anything different in this one? So I'm going to go with uh, 74 to 64, and Maryland's going to come away with the win. So there are score predictions. We all have Maryland beating Brown tonight. And the Maryland football season has come to a close. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Testudo Times podcast. We will be back next week for another episode of the Testudo Times podcast. So thank you so much for listening, and we will get back to you next week.